Today we're starting a brand new series called Dream Again. This is going to be a highly, uh, I want lots of participation this morning in terms of Dream Again. And so I want you to say those words with me. Dream again. Say it again. Dream again. Say it one more time. Dream again. That's right. This series is, in my heart, this series is all about helping a generation of Christians understand what it means, what God intended for us in terms, of, in terms of our dreams, our faith, and that maybe, just maybe, it's time for us to dream again if we have lost uh, sight of some of that. Now, we're all born dreamers, right? That's, that's something that we know. Scientists have, have kind of studied uh, babies that sleep, uh, and they've recognized, you know, the pattern that's going on and then the synapses. I'm not a neurologist, but the synapses in the brain, you know, going to town. They've, they've studied adults who actively dream, and it's virtually the exact same thing. So I don't know what babies are dreaming about, but they're dreaming, right? They're born dreaming. I'm sure it's just simple, like colors and milk. I don't know, you know, just simple things. And then we continue with our imaginations through childhood. I love the, the, the bump where it showed the kid with the wings, you know, the cardboard wings. I don't know how many of you have ever done that. How many daydreamers do we have in the room that you, you are daydreamer as a child? You don't do it now. I know you're daydreamer as a child. Yeah, I was in trouble a lot as well. Um, <laughs> dreams somehow, they often define our, you know, our, our childhood, and then we move into adolescence, and something changes from adolescence to young adulthood, and all of a sudden, dreaming just begins to sort of cease. It, it ceases becoming something that defines us and defines who we are in terms of our imagination and our, our uh, abilities, in terms of possibilities. And usually what ends up happening is that as we get into adulting, and again, we realize life is hard, adulting is hard, right? We begin to stop dreaming and we sort of trade in dreams for details. Right? Routine seems to be the thing that we start to seek. Like we really don't want anything beyond the routine of our life. I love these memes. These are things that pop up in my Facebook every once in a while. Actual footage of me getting ready to take on Monday, right? And you, and you know, I, and I get, I mean, this is just a representation of I feel it, right? You give it everything you have, and it doesn't seem to get you anywhere, right? And I love George Lucas. He's a, a big fan. Here's a great quote. He said, dreams are really important. They're extremely important. You can't do it if you can't imagine it. You can't do it if you can't imagine it. And again, I don't know, I don't know why it shifts in terms of, of being born dreamers and having that be such an important part of our childhood and then to lose that as adults and to really begin to just understand, like again, whether you're quote-unquote living for the American dream, everything we seek is just sort of this immediate desire for comfort and security Again, we trade in sort of the dreams for the details of life, and we just search for, if we can, find a routine just to get us from Monday to Friday, just get us from weekend to weekend, so we can have a couple of hours to watch Netflix and check out. And that's not how we were created to be. It's not what we were designed to be. And here's what's really cool. As Christians, as believers, as followers of God, we actually become born again. How many have heard that word before, born again? We don't use it that often, right, in terms of Christians, but that's the way even Jesus describes it to a, to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. We are born again. So we are actually reborn dream seekers, meaning that it might not be something as natural as it once was. It may not be something that, that comes as naturally as it did as you when you were a child, but when you become a child of God, when you become a new believer, I mean, you guys have run into new believers. We've had them here at our church. You've, you've known some in your life. Man, they just come alive with the possibilities of God. Am I right? Nod your head. They come alive with the possibilities of God. They become where they start to seek out the dreams of God. It's not all just about the now. It's about what's beyond. It's about what's more. And that's what we are all reborn into. That's that spiritual birth. Here's what Paul, how Paul describes it to the Corinthian church. 
He says, this is why we never give up, right? Though our bodies are dying, right? Trying, me trying to get through Monday. Paul gets it, right? Our spirits are being, read those three words, renewed every day. He goes on to say, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that we cannot, that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. This is Paul helping you understand that, look, we are reborn as dreamers. We are reborn as dream seekers, that it's not just about the reality you live in now and what you can see now, that you as a follower of Christ, as a, as a new, you're no longer just a creation of God, you're a child of God. You have the opportunity to dream. You have the opportunity to be alive to all the possibilities of what God can do, because God can do all things. And that's why we become these dream seekers. And I really do believe it's time for us to dream again. Say it again. Dream again. Dream again, dream again right? Now, it's also one of the things that marked the church. Dreams are just one of those things that was a mark of the church when the church was birthed a little under 2,000 years ago. I'm going to read this passage, and I'll jump into the middle of the story. This is after Christ has been uh, uh, resurrected and ascended, and uh, this is after the Holy Spirit has come and Pentecost, and Peter has preached, and thousands have come to Christ. And, when, and a part of what happened was all the Jews from all the different nations were coming to Jerusalem, and the Spirit of God spoke through the, the, the disciples in languages they didn't know, and spoke to all the people in all languages. That's where we're kind of going to jump in to the story. You're going to love the response that people have, but this is what happens. That the, the people are hearing the gospel and coming to faith in their own language from people that do not speak their language, and the people who are speaking that language, it is not a language they speak, because that's the pouring out of the Spirit in their life. And here's what Peter says. I love this. This is Acts chapter 2, if you want to follow along. Says Peter stepped forward, okay, he sees all that's happened. He's starting to notice the response of people, and here's what he says. He steps forward with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. He has to, he has to address the response. Here you go. These people are not drunk. Don't you like that? Doesn't he, do you like he has to say that? These people are not drunk, right? As some of you are assuming, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that, right? Peter didn't believe it's five o'clock somewhere, right? It's just like he was, he was helping them understand. Look, you're responding to something. I want you to understand. This is not what this is. There's something else going on. There's something bigger going on. No, what you see was predicted, right? It was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And then he pulls from the scrolls, the memory he has, the, 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 the Spirit of God is speaking through Peter to bring about what this prophecy was. And here's the words. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. That's what Joel said. And this is what Peter is, is helping them see is happening. 
He goes on to say, in those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, they will prophesy. I love this because it's helping him understand it's going to everybody. This is no longer the system, right, of the high priest and the, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This isn't just the select few that God is going to speak to. No, I've poured out my, 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 my spirit. That young men will prophesy in visions and they'll be having dreams. This is going to mark this. And he says, and it will be to everyone, men and women alike to my servants. And he goes on that you will see wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And if you skip down to to 21, it says, everyone who calls, this is obviously the reason, right? It says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. There's lots of things that are going to happen in this time as it unfolds, but but here's the end goal. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord is going to be saved. That's what's going to happen. Now, again, I want to make sure you understand, Peter, Peter is taking what he memorized. Peter is taking what all good Jews sort of uh, recognize and memorize in terms of the Old Testament and pulling out this, this prophecy. This isn't just Peter prophesying in some sort of weird, in the last days, some sort of apocalyptic understanding. That's how we use the word sometimes, last days, like revelation. No, this is something that was written 850 years before this moment. And Peter says, you need to understand, in the terms of an eternal God, this is what he said would happen. That the, he's going to pour his spirit out, and it's going to be that Joel was known for prophesying about the days of the Lord, which we could even term as the days of the church, because that's when he says, this is what's starting to happen now and will continue to happen until Christ comes again. God's going to pour his spirit out. Young men will, pro, young, uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will have visions, and your old men will dream dreams. This will be the thing that marks the days of the church the days of the Lord. And so, just to help you walk through these words, these are not words we use all that often, but when he was talking about this understanding, again, he's he's using a prophet in terms of the Old Testament prophet. He's using the word prophesy, and and it still applies to the same thing in terms of prophets were seers. They They were people who could see, and they spoke the truth of the Word of God to others. Matter of fact, that's the only way they received it in the Old Testament, was through prophets. Obviously, we have some differences in terms of what Jesus allowed to happen as he changed things. Again, the pouring out of his spirit, the New Testament was written, the letters were written, it was all given to us. So we understand there's some element of that, but it doesn't change the word. The word prophesy is that you will have people that will be able to see truth and be able to speak truth to others. Visions is just a sense of purpose and direction. You're going to have purpose and direction. It's going to be marked by people who live this way, as well as people who dream dreams, which is really, in my terms, just hope and faith. You can really just, you know, go back to those two words, hope and faith. And don't, just, just, if you don't hear anything else today, just hear these words. These are the things that were to mark the church. That no matter what happened from that point forward to now, what was going to be different about the church, because God was pouring his spirit out, was that these three things were going to exist now. They didn't exist before. That's not the system they had before. They're going to exist now. They're going to prophesy and see and speak the truth of the Word of God. They're going to have vision and purpose and direction in their life, and they're going to dream dreams. They're going to be filled with hope and faith. So let me show you just a few more of these three things. We're not going to do this every week, but I want to walk you through even just as Scripture points back to what this looks like. What does it mean to see and speak the truth of the Word of God? I want to go to, let me find my scripture here. 
Yeah, this is going to be again in, um, in Corinthians. This is Paul speaking to the church. He says, when I tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. This is Paul talking about as he writes the church. He says, instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, capital S, right, Holy Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. He says people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds, what's the word? Say it out loud. Sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, right? And then you go on to 14, it says, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. And he says, you, we understand these things, verse 16, because we have the mind of Christ. That's another part of what changed, right? That's what changed when Christ came and he poured his spirit out. We now have the mind of Christ. We're able to see and understand and speak absolute truth to others. Not everyone can see it. Jesus himself would use the words with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He would say, you know, they, even though I was standing right before them, I was the fulfillment of the Messiah in their lifetime. They couldn't see me. This was his words. They couldn't see me because their eyes were not opened. They had a shroud over them. It's mentioned in Hebrews as well. That there are those that simply will not see it. Now, we have our, our, our scripture. We have the word of God, right? That is the absolute truth in our life. So we all have, hear these words, we may not all have the gift of prophecy. We can go back to uh, my series in January. You can read the book and we'll talk more about it. And we may not all have the gift of prophecy in terms of the spirit working through us, but we all have the ability to prophesy. Nod your head if you're with me. We all have the ability because you have the Holy Spirit in you to be able to see what God sees, to be able to see that layer of actual absolute truth of life and be able to speak that truth to others, be able to speak over and through and in people the absolute truth of Jesus Christ with them. That's what we have the ability to do. Now, this is, now you obviously know this is a big deal for today, right? This is a big deal for our culture today because our culture today is consumed with my truth and your truth. My truth and your truth. And the only thing that really matters is what my truth is, unless it conflicts with your truth, and then we get to argue on Facebook because we would never argue in real life. But you're going to argue on Facebook, we're going to argue on social media. We're consumed with this concept of what might be true for me versus what is true for you. And guys, the church, hear these words, the church was to be marked by those who could prophesy absolute truth. That's how the church is supposed to be seen and recognized. Here's visions. Visions is obviously part of that is purpose and direction. If people, I love this particular passage. This is one I love from, from a, this is a, a paraphrase of the message, uh, the message paraphrase from, from Proverbs 29. You may have heard this some other, other ways. I'll give it to you. It says if people can't see what God is doing, they can't see it. They stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. When they live, they attend to what he reveals, they live that way, they receive that blessing. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? How to get more from God. And you may have heard this in, in the King James Version is, uh, where there is no vision, the people will perish. You guys may nod your head if you heard that. You might have heard your parents yell that at you at some point, right? And the NIV basically says they wander aimlessly. Those who cannot see, those who do this, they wander aimlessly. Vision is incredibly important. And again, to our current culture today, right? To our current culture today, 
who has, I mean, everything is based, again, off of my truth and your truth, and we're basing all of what we believe is true there. But we also have a, a, a culture of really delusion where there's very little self-awareness, okay? If you don't realize that, just watch one of those American Idol, like, auditions or something, right? People who think they can sing and they have no idea that they can't. Y'all with me? Okay, we have all, listen, we have entire generations that are, that, are, that are suffering with delusion. They have very little self-awareness of their life. They can't see, and they're stumbling all over themselves. And, 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 and truthfully, one of the bigger things for me is that they don't have purpose. There's no direction. There's nothing beyond the now. Their history, listen, there's a whole generation whose history, whose history is not being marked and defined by what God is doing out here. It is marked and defined by the selfie of, you know, the selfies they get in their time hop as to when something happened, right? That's, that's how their history is being marked in their life is the selfie they had on this date and the selfie they had on this date and the selfie they had on this date. Oh, don't you remember when I did this? That was a fun day. We need people that can see. That's, that's seeing and speaking truth. But we need people who have vision. This is how the church was supposed to be marked. We, as the people of God, the church, we're supposed to have purpose and direction in our life. And it was supposed to help us in a world that does not have it to be set apart. And the last is obviously dreams. Which again, I, I look at this faith and hope. You can you kind of put those two together. Matter of fact, Hebrews 11 tells you that faith is, right, it's confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And that do not see is the fact that we can't see, like going back to that spiritual spiritual seeing things. No, it's talking about things that have not been revealed yet. We have confidence in what we hope for. That's our faith. We have assurance, assurance meaning we may not fully see it realized yet. We may not, it's not happened yet. I can't even see fully how it will happen yet, but there's an assurance in me that it will happen, that it will happen. And this is what God intended for his people. He intended the church, the days of the church, the days of the Lord, to be marked by these three things. And I believe, again, I believe a lot of this comes back to the fact that because our faith, God uses, you know, he, the, the, dreams really are the language of that. He uses our ability to imagine, to think of the possibilities, to know that God can do all things as an opportunity to engage us in those three things. And if we begin to dream again, I believe that we'll see a church that begins to look different than the world. People have often thought looking different than the world had a lot to do with our behavior. And I don't disagree with certain behaviors. You're going you're to have a, a stark difference between what the world you know, looks like and what we look like. But at the same time, God, there's, there's something more than that. There's something bigger than that at stake. It's what are we living for? Can we see something that people cannot see? Are we, are we able to have faith and hope in something that hasn't happened yet? man, what an amazing difference that sets us apart. So the question is, why do we stop dreaming? And I want to just spend a couple minutes here because this is, this is important, especially when you start talking about the dreams from my life. Because I want you to dream again. Say the words again. Dream again. Dream again. I want, you see, you're, I'm losing participation. Stay with me. You guys say dream again. dream again. I want you to know that this is a call to dream again. This is a call for you to engage your faith in such a way that you begin to understand that you're living for more, that you're expecting more, that there is something you have an assurance of that's more. 
There's a reason we did the series before this called How Do You Expect More? How Do You Get More from God? Because there is more for us to experience. And it's time for us to dream again. It's time for this generation to begin to dream again for the future of the next generation. But why do we stop dreaming? Well, practically speaking, primarily our culture is run on efficiency and practicality. Everybody with me? I mean, our culture is run on efficiency and practicality, okay? And everything from that point forward that you are shooting for, they're just goals, right? They're just goals. They're the stuff that we call, hey, man, if you just put a little oomph to it, if you get a little grit in your life, if you give yourself a little bit of of, of juice and you kind of put your mind to it and you get up every day earlier and you stay up a little bit later, you can accomplish all the things you want to accomplish. Those are goals, and dreams are set aside, and you can disagree with me, but I mean, if I'm just talking about the world we live in right now. Dreams are set aside as wishful thinking. We actually believe dreams represent everything that's impossible or improbable. That's what dreams are. Well, I, you know, I had a dream that maybe this could happen, and usually when those words are spoken, people just put it in the bucket that it's impossible or it's improbable. And it might, listen, it might be impossible, Okay? The dream might be impossible. The problem is, is that as followers of Christ, we live with attention. Because Jesus said, right? Jesus said, this is in Luke, for nothing is impossible with God. Right? Read, let's all read that verse together. For nothing is impossible with God. Right? So we live with attention. That's part of being a follower of Christ and saying, look, I'm a, I'm a dream seeker and the goal is for me to dream again because I've been reborn by the Spirit of God and now I live in the, yes, it might be impossible. I said it out loud. It sounds stupid, right? But I live with the tension of the fact that nothing is impossible with God. So why do we feel like it's impossible? Well, here's just three things. I'll put them up on the screen for you. I'll go through them quickly. We have a false understanding of life, of self, and of God. So even as Christians, even though we claim to follow God, even though we claim to love Jesus with all of our hearts, because we have basically have a false understanding of these three things, we no longer feel the tension that if we state something that's impossible, it just might be impossible. That might not be what God had planned because it's obviously impossible. We no longer live with that tension of the fact that he said, no, 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 nothing is impossible with God. That's what we're called to be living in. So here's these three. So life is, is hard. Life, life is one of those things that I just use life to describe the whole, uh, the whole gamut, right? The whole gamut of what we see around us. Life can become very distracting for us, primarily because, again, our culture is very driven by efficiency and practicality, and so we live, we, we live very anxious marginless lives. That's just what life looks like for most of us. Very anxious, very marginless lives. We, we don't even feel like we can take a breath. Chris did an amazing job last week talking about rest. What does it look like to rest? I don't, how many of you guys rested? Just be honest. Raise your hand if you rested this week. Thank you for being honest. Most of the room didn't raise their hand, right? Hey, we, don't, we don't even know how to do that. We have a false understanding of life itself, of how life is supposed to work. We get, our, we get ourselves all tore up, all bound up because we see things happening in our world. We see things happening in our country. We see things happening that just seem to be taking us further and further and further away from God. 
The Christian morals and principles are no longer the majority in our country. And yet, we believe because life is headed that way that God is headed that way. And we start to feel anxious and we start to get worried and we start to, we start to fear. And yet God has called us to be what? Salt and light, right? God has told us that we are a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. That's what the church is. That's who you are. Light shines best in the darkness. So if we don't understand that life is going to look like that, that, that Jesus said, look, in this world you're going to have trouble. Like it wasn't a maybe. It was like Jesus read letters, a promise. But take heart because I have overcome the world. We have really, a false understanding of self is really just based on the fact that when you begin to even feel yourself dreaming, when you begin to feel yourself moving in that place where God can reveal a dream to you, uh, you, 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 get, you get all bought up in everything about you. You get just kind of all junked up right between your, you know, between your ears. It's called the jump between your ears. That I'm not smart enough. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not spiritual enough to accomplish what that dream might be. Or, or and or, on my way of kind of getting through weekend to weekend, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'm currently experiencing the consequences of sin in my life, so I'm not really sure that that dream is for me anymore. Like, I'm not sure God can use me anymore. And listen, there's, there's somebody here today that might need to hear this, but listen, you are a new creation in God. Okay, you, you are a new creation. This is... This is I hate to say it's not about you because it is a partly, you know, you're involved. <laughs> but when we have a false understanding of ourselves and on the role we play in those dreams that God might have for our lives, we can, we can really stop short of ever dreaming again. And I'm telling you, you are, not, like, you are no longer a creation of God. You are now a child of God. Once you've surrendered your heart to Him, once Jesus is your Lord, you're now His kid. And just as every parent here has dreams for their kids... Your heavenly Father has a dream for you. He needs you to dream again so he can reveal that dream to you. Say dream again. There's a false understanding, obviously, of God. I'm reading a phenomenal book right now called Not God Enough. I would recommend it to everybody in this room. I, it's one of those books that I started reading quickly, and it got slower and slower and slower because it's such a challenging book for me. But the general premise is that every view that we have of God, if it isn't really God, then it's just not God enough. You guys with me? It's not God enough. So when, when God, when your view of God is just a slightly stronger, slightly bigger, you know, slightly more loving version of you, then your God's not God enough, right? Like if God hates the people you hate and likes the people you like, then he's not God enough. Your view and understanding of God is just not there. If he can't fix what's broken in your life, if he can't uh, redeem relationships in your life, if he can't heal the heart that you have broken in your life, if he can't work through the circumstances, if he can't be victorious over the obstacles, if he can't resurrect your marriage, if he can't do all of those things, then he's not God enough. You have a very false understanding of God, and that keeps us from dreaming. Because Jesus said, hey, Nothing is impossible with God. 
We talked about it last series. God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. That's our understanding of God. That's what puts us in a place to be able to dream again for our lives. I love this quote by uh, Pope John. It says, consult not your fears, but your hopes and your dreams. Think Think not only about your frustrations, but about your unfulfilled potential. Concern yourself if not with, not with, if you've, t- uh, sorry, not if you tried and failed in, but with what is still possible for you to do. Because this, this is the challenge of the tension we feel with our, with our life that we see around us, with ourself, and with our view of God, right? With our view of God. So here's what I want to give you. I just want to give you three things to help you identify God-sized dreams for your life. Three things. As you pray through, as we work through it over the next few weeks together as a church, as you work through, what do God-sized dreams for my life look like? What does it look like for me to begin to dream again, and it's not just about me? And I'm not, I'm not held back by the, by the life I see. I'm not held back by, by my role in it. I'm not held back by my view of God. I want to start dreaming again, God, of, of what you want to accomplish and what you want to do in and through me for my life. The first is, it needs to be a faith-filled dream, okay? A faith-filled dream. Let's read this together. This is, um, as possible, obviously this is Hebrews, it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Okay, you can't, you can't do things without faith. Oh, you can live life without faith. I need no faith to go to work every day. I need no faith to get my children to behave. I don't need faith to make, make ends meet and you know, make a budget and make sure that's done. I don't need any faith to, to, to make sure my kids can get some activities in their life. It, that doesn't require anything. And it says it's impossible to please God without faith. There's an element of, of what we're called to live for that requires God's intervention, that requires us to have something that he's given us, and we say, okay, that's the God-sized, some God-sized dreams he's given me, yet they can't happen if God doesn't show up. That can't happen. They've got to be faith-filled. I have a dream. I've shared it with our staff. I have a dream to give away $1 million. All right? Now, I don't know how that's going to happen because I'm a pastor. Right? <laughs> I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know the role I'm going to play, but that dream has been with me for a long time, and I really do believe that's a dream given to me from God. But again, that's, a, that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm just now getting to the point that I feel okay voicing that as ridiculously absurd as it might sound, that is absolutely what I'm believing and trusting God for. Because it's faith-filled, because it's, and the, how do I do that? Well, Hebrews, again, I have to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of my faith. It's got to be faith-filled. I really do believe if it's a God-sized dream, it's going to be culture-defying. It's going to be culture-defying. Let's read this. This is, um, uh, where's this, this verse? This is in Romans. Obviously, we've, we've read this quite a bit in the last year, talking about transformation. Do not copy the behaviors and patterns of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Listen, if you just take the aspect of the fact that you begin to see and speak the absolute truth of the Word of God into your life and into other people's lives, you will already be defying culture. It's not that hard right? It's not that hard. 
You, you, nowadays, you tell work, you tell the sport team you play with that you do not do those things on Sunday because you value the importance of what God's doing through his local church. You are already defying culture. The dream of Journey Church, it doesn't have to be just world-defying culture. The dream of this church was church-defying culture. And I have a dream for the future church. It's a picture. Guys, it's a picture of a church that doesn't exist yet. But I'm telling you, I'm here. I'm planted here at this church. And I believe this church one day is going to be the model for what the future church will and should look like. And the other churches will begin to look to us, not in pride, not with something about us, but because we're going to follow the dream that he's given us to be the church he's called us to be for the next generation. It hasn't happened yet, but the picture doesn't change, that the future church is different. And the third, it's going to be faith-filled, cultural fine, but it's going to be life-changing, right? It's going to be life-changing. <laughs> your God-sized dreams are not going to be about you. She wants you to know. Can, can you guys nod your head if you're with me? They're not going to be about you. It's not wrong to have a bucket list. I have an informal bucket list of some places I'd like to visit and see and some experiences I'd like my family to have. Like, that's fine. But understand, I believe, you know, our, our, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think part of that is enjoying the life he's given us and knowing that God wants to bless his kids. I'm okay to have a little bit of a list of some things that I would love to see happen in my life that if God so chooses, he can make happen. That's not wrong. But these God-sized dreams are not going to be about you. Matter of fact, you're going to have, this is the role you play. I love this. This is actually from the message paraphrase as well from Ephesians 1. It says that in Christ, in the Christ that we found out we, who we are and what we are living for, this is part of that purpose and direction. It's in Christ that we found this out. Long before we first heard of Christ, though, and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. Like long before you entered the picture with him, he already had his eye on you. And it goes on to say this. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he's working out in everything and everyone. That's your role. So understand what I'm saying. Please, please hear this disclaimer. Please do not go quit your job tomorrow. Y'all with me? Nod your head, please. You do not need to quit your job. You do not need to move across the country. I'm talking about there might be the exception in the room. You do not need to change churches. You do not need to, to move out of your neighborhood. You don't need to. I, I, the reason I say that is because oftentimes, again, with our particular efficient practical culture, we feel like if we're facing obstacles, if we're facing circumstances, if we're struggling where we are, that in order to fulfill God's dream, we got to go all new. But you know what? God had his eye on you before you had your eye on this. And you are where you are for a reason. You're at the job where you're at. You live where you're at. You're at the church where you're at. You're in the neighborhood where you're at. God did not do that by mistake. And you need to, I firmly believe this, you need to bloom where you're planted. Right? You need to bloom where you're planted. That you don't have any idea that when you begin to dream again and the dream that God has for your life gets downloaded to you, that that isn't specifically needed for your job. It, isn't, it could be specifically needed for your church. It could be needed for your neighborhood. It could just be needed for your family. You don't need to abandon those things to experience what God wants to do. Because it's not about you. Listen, I was going, no many of you guys know my story. I was going to church. I was 
um, you know, I was a faithful tither. I was serving in church. Um, and there was a time in which I had to surrender my heart and life fully to God. It wasn't that I didn't trust Him as Lord. I just didn't trust Him with the rest of my life. I, had, I, was, I was living the American dream. I was seeking after the next dollar. I was seeking after the next sale. I was seeking after the next thing that would make our lives more comfortable. And that's not the dream that God had for my life. Now, the dream that God had for my life was to spend my life in service to you. And I'll be honest with you, church people are not the easiest people to serve. Let's just be honest. Right? But to, but to be a part of it, like, as my life continues to unfold and as the dream for my life continues to unfold, I continue to be blown away with gratitude that God would even place such a, an honor and responsibility to me. How many years of my life did I waste chasing my own dreams, which were nothing but goals, before I finally gave up and said, okay, God, I want, I want to live for God-sized dreams in my life. They're going to be faith-filled. They're going to defy the culture around me, and they're going to, they're going to, we're going to see lives changed by absolute hope. I love this a quote from Walt Disney. Disney's, I'm a big Disney fan. All your dreams can come true. You say those first few lines, you think of the song, don't you? All your dreams can come Anyway, okay. Dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them. So the question I have today is simply, what will your dreams be? I'm, 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 I'm going to go ahead and skip past the assumption that you're struggling to dream again. I'm just going to go ahead in faith and just say, I believe after we're done the course of this series, you're going to start dreaming again. You're going to surrender that to God. You're going to pray to him some very dangerous prayers to say, God, give me these God-sized dreams. What are they going to be? That's the question I want to ask. What are your dreams going to be? As a church, we wanted to participate together in this. We wanted to help you kind of find a way to engage it. So we created out there this dream board, all right? And it's real simple. All you got to do is go up there and just uh, with some chalk and write down a dream. Right? It, it doesn't matter what it is. Again, I just want you to feel free to engage with it. Let it be a part of something our whole church is doing. I want the whole board to be full of dreams of you guys have, that you guys have. Could be for your life, your family, could be for this church, it could be for the city, for the country. It doesn't matter. I want you to write down those dreams. If you feel comfortable enough sharing a personal dream, we, on the back side of the dream board, you can actually put uh, one of your dreams. Again, I have my dream right there. One of my dreams, and hashtag it dream again. Just, just share that on your social media. Share that to say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. As ridiculously absurd as it might look, I'm going to dream again. Say dream again. Dream again. Yeah. On the back side of the board is a great quote. This is what I want to end with today by Sir Francis Drake. It says, Disturb us, Lord, when we're too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. My prayer for this series is that God would disturb us a little, that the Spirit of God would disturb us in the ways in which we might not look like the church that Joel and Peter described. 
that Joel and Peter said, this is what the days of the Lord will look like. I believe when you start to dream again for those God-sized dreams for your life, man, there's no telling the possibility of what God can do. Let's pray together. God, with those words, I pray that you would disturb us. I pray that you would allow us to be men and women of faith that are, that are marked in our life because your spirit has poured out on us. And we are marked in our life by speaking and seeing the, the absolute truth of you to others. That we would, would have purpose and direction for our lives and that the hope and faith that we carry would play themselves out in the dreams that you have for us. But God, we need to dream again to be able to experience those. So God, I... I pray that today there's already a heart of surrender and already a heart to begin that prayer. God, what dreams do you have for me? And let their imaginations begin to just, just, just fly away with the possibilities and come alive with the possibilities that God wants to put in their life. God, we pray all of this because it's your spirit by your power, Jesus, speaking to us and speaking through us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.